We are um, going to start a new series today called The Kingdom of God, byline, The Realm of Freedom, to tie it to our theme for the year. And uh, just so you know, this is going to be like a teaching series over the next like six weeks. It's probably going to be the next 16 weeks, but I'm saying six weeks just so it doesn't feel too long and boring to start with. Might have some little breaks. It gets interrupted next week by Mother's Day, which is going to be great. Um, the, the, the mums, I guess, are taking over and doing it. I feel like they take over most weeks anyway. But uh, <laughs> Katie preaches more than me anyway. So, But, you know, we'll let them have it. Some people said, well, isn't that the week the dad should take it? And I thought, yeah, it should be the week that the men takes it. The lady. But the ladies were like, no, give it to us. So they can have it, you know, whatever. We'll make them breakfast and they can run the gathering. It'll be fantastic. They run it anyway. I don't know what the big special thing is. But, you know, um, anyway, I don't know what I was talking about. That's interrupting the series. We'll get back to it after that. Um, and, and it's a big topic. And so each week is going to build on the following week. So it's important that you journey with us. If you miss it, uh, just catch up online so that you can continue along the journey. And if you haven't already listened to Good Friday's message that you can find on YouTube or podcast, that's actually like the sort of unofficial introduction to the series, okay? So if you missed that, go back and get that, and that'll help you see how it starts there and we're in it now. So uh, the kingdom of God. Is that good? Uh, if you want some reading over the series, we could put up the next graphic, which will show um, a, a couple of books that I think would be awesome that you could read. If you want to just dive deeper in the series, you could do them in small groups or just read them yourself. And if you want to know where to read in the Bible, you can get your phone out, take a photo of that, that's fine. Um, Matthew 5 through 7 is where we're going to get to in this series and where so much of our conversation is going to be based, because that is Jesus' longest recorded sermon, and it's all about how to live in the kingdom of God. Okay, and so uh, that's where we're going to be heading. Uh, I thought we should um, just have a bit more of a laugh to start with because sometimes when you know what the kingdom of God isn't, you can help you figure out what the kingdom of God is. So we got some woke Jesus, uh, just little things we might reflect on. Woke Jesus says, your feelings have saved you, now go in peace. I have suffered so that you don't have to suffer. Isn't that awesome? Look at Jesus' face, hey. Some of you are realizing for the first time this is not what the Bible says, okay? Uh, it doesn't really, I thought my feelings saved me. It doesn't really matter what you do, so as long as down deep inside you feel that you're a good person. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a popularity contest where the main goal was to win the approval of the people around you. Do you want to know the secret to my success, Jesus says? Two words, cultural relevance. Warm fuzzy, I love this one. Warm fuzzies, look at him. Warm fuzzies, I leave with you. My warm fuzzies, I give you. <laughs> oh, this is one's important for this year. Your truth will set you free. Your truth. Yeah. Good Christians get along with everyone. That's why no one wants to crucify me. <laughs> Good. Is, is that the end? I think that's the end. Okay. The kingdom of God. I was reading this and I thought it's a good introduction. Recently, a pilot was practicing high-speed maneuvers in a jet fighter. She turned the controls for what she thought was a steep ascent and flew straight into the ground. She was unaware that she had been flying upside down. Extreme G-forces can do that to you. This is a parable of human existence in our times. 
Not exactly that everyone is crashing, although there is enough of that. But most of us as individuals and world, society, and as a whole live at a high speed and often with no clue to whether we're flying upside down or right side up. The kingdom of God and talking about it is our way of learning to fly right side up. Or if you're a Matrix fan, this whole kingdom of God conversation is a way of taking the red pill. Or if you're a Narnia fan, it's a way of stepping into the wardrobe. The whole conversation about the kingdom of God is Jesus' way of showing us how he designed us to live. How he meant it to be. And we need to talk about the kingdom of God for this one reason, if there's no other reason. It's all Jesus talked about. I don't know if you've read the Gospels recently. I would encourage you over the series to read the Gospels, get a little pen or a highlighter out, and every time you see the word, the kingdom of God, just highlight it and realize that every conversation begins with Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. He only had one sermon. It was about the kingdom of God. He came at it from every angle, from every approach. He tried to get us to imagine in all these different ways, but it's all he talked about. So we should talk about it. It's what he modeled. It's what he taught. It's what he proclaimed. And it's what he died and raised to give us access to. And it's what he's coming back to consummate, the kingdom of God. It's interesting when you read the Old Testament, every time you see allusions to the kingdom of God, it's always in future tense, like it's coming. It's like the prophecies, it's like one day, the kingdom of God, one day, one day in the future, when the Son of Man comes, one day, the future tense, kingdom of God. You read for 1,500 years of Israelite history, the kingdom of God is coming, future tense. And then bang, Jesus comes. And it changes from future tense to present tense. And he goes, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God's all around you. The kingdom of God is around you. It's it's now. It's a present reality, not a future reality. It's no longer something that we're waiting for, but it is here. It is here. And we'd have to be said that we don't talk about the kingdom of God enough. And I'm sorry for that. But let's change that over the next 6 to 16 to 32 weeks. (laughs) Matthew 4, verse 23. It's like a summary of the start of Jesus' ministry. He said, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, that's like their little religious communities, and proclaiming the gospel. If you don't know what that means, the good news. Week two, we'll talk about what good news really is and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria in the north and they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons and those having seizures and paralytics and he healed them. And great crowds followed from Galilee, a little bit less north, and the Decapolis a little bit less north, and from Jerusalem a little bit south, and to Judea a little bit more south, and even from beyond the Jordan a little bit east. 
Here he is proclaiming and revealing the kingdom over the entire original realm of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's interesting, I find this interesting, you'll find this if you, if you go and actually read your Bible, uh, it's a good thing for Christians to do, uh, that Jesus spent his whole life talking about the kingdom of God, it's all he talked about, it's recorded for us four different ways, four different versions, and yet not once did he ever define it. How non-Western of him. How not concrete and certain. How ethereal and imaginative and trying to get you hungry for something rather than feed you something is Jesus. He, he, he didn't come to describe the kingdom of God. He came to help you imagine the kingdom of God. He came to cause something in you to go, oh, I don't exactly know what it is, but I think I want it. It's like when you read a menu, you know, especially the dessert menu. You're like, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but it sounds yum. And so you order it. That's like the kingdom of God. Jesus would be like, the kingdom of God is like a seed. It's like a seed. And if it can get in the right soil, mind-blowing harvest. Like so much, like a hundredfold. No seed does a hundredfold harvest. It's like, it's so seed potent. If it can just get in the right soil, poof, you wouldn't believe the fruit. Oh, the kingdom of God is like a teensy weensy seed. It's like it's easy to overlook or to underestimate. But man, when it grows, it becomes the largest of trees. And even animals and birds, they come and find safety in that kingdom. He's like, the kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast. And I know we use self-raising flour these days, so we don't know. <laughs> We're gluten-free, so we definitely don't know. <laughs> like a little bit of yeast. And it can be mixed with such a large amount of flour, yet it permeates every bit of the flour. It's like, that's what happens in our world when the kingdom of God gets in. The kingdom of God is, is I love this one. He's like, imagine you were a pearl merchant. Imagine like you spent your whole life trading in pearls. You bought them, you sold them, you looked for rare and expensive ones and you traded other ones up for that and then you flicked those ones off and imagine you had a great pearl collection because you are the pearl merchant but then you find this pearl that's like the kingdom and it's a pearl more beautiful than any other pearl you've ever seen and in that moment you abandon your pearl merchantness and you sell all your pearls so you can just possess the one pearl you've been looking for your whole life, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. He, he describes all these miracles, and I want you to know that miracles don't only show the kingdom of God in action. They do show that, but they also tell us what the kingdom of God's like too. The kingdom of God's like people who have never seen before seeing for the first time. The kingdom of God is like people who have never heard before hearing for the first time. 
or people who have never spoken before finding their voice. The kingdom of God is like people who have been oppressed for their entire lives in this uncontrollable action and could never do what they wanted to do because they felt like they were possessed by something that wasn't them. It's like those people being free and being able to be themselves for the first time. The kingdom of God is like when there's not enough, there becomes more than enough. The kingdom of God turns storms into stillness. Can you see how Jesus, when we read it with our, like, our way, like, what is it? We miss it. Because there's just this vastness and this beauty and this imaginative world or reality that God is trying to invite us into that's all around us and is here. And you can just step into it and everything can change, like taking that red pill. There's a disclaimer if you look in the book of John, because I am going to try to do what Jesus didn't do, and I'm going to try to find the kingdom of God. Which, as I say that, sounds like a dumb idea. <laughs> but, but, it, but because we need some definition, we need something to wrap around. But before I do that, we need a disclaimer. And here's just a disclaimer. If you look at a bunch of the stuff that's said about the kingdom of God in the gospel of John alone, and you can feel free to take a photo of this next slide if you want to look at the uh, references later. They're all from the book of John. But just so you know how confusing it is, the kingdom of God comes near in those verses, and it has come. It suffers violence. However, disciples are to pray that it will come in the future. And some of them will see it coming at the advent of the Son of Man. And people were threatened with not being able to enter it in the future, but the wrong people are going into it in the now. Some people not only are not going in themselves, but they lock others out of it. People can inherit it, and they can be heirs of it, or children of it. It can belong to them, and it can be theirs. And in the future, people will eat and drink in the kingdom of heaven with the patriarchs of Israel and with Jesus. And so this next bit, since the kingdom of heaven or God is not an abstract concept or a physical territory, if you will, it may be spoken of in a number of ways that are too different to bring within one conceptual system. Hence why Jesus tried to get us to imagine it. Because it's so not of this world, yet it has everything to do with this world. This is the difficulty as we begin this journey. So you're like, man, the rest of these weeks, these 16, 32 weeks are going to be a head trip, aren't they? But let me try by describing first our kingdoms. I don't know if you realize it, but you're a little king or a little queen of your own little kingdom. Some of our kingdoms are so small as in we haven't even mastered self. But some of our kingdoms are a little larger and influence our families or our workplaces and our, our classrooms. But kingdoms are the realm of our effective will. The realm of our effective will. Where what you will, we can put that up on the screen, where what you will actually happens. The realm of your effective will, not the realm of your desired will. The realm of our desired will extends into lots of other people's kingdoms. But the realm of our effective will sometimes struggle to even extend to ours, right? 
where what we say actually goes, where what we want happens, and where what we want done is done. And then in a moment, we just realize how tiny our little kingdoms are. We're just little, little kings, little queens with horrible little kingdoms. Like, if you want to talk about our kingdoms with inanimate objects, we're okay at that. Like, if I want the bottle to be here, it will be there. Until somebody else doesn't want the bottle to be there, and they move it. But while I put it there, it's there. Or we can think of nature, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, our kingdom's finished. Can't change the weather. Can't make it rain or, you know, be sunny when it's raining or whatever. But we really begin to understand the difficulty of kingdoms when your kingdom comes up against somebody else's kingdom. And anybody that's had kids or can imagine having kids can see the difficulty of when kingdoms and other people's free wills intersect, there becomes a battle of kingdoms. And all of a sudden, I thought I was a king of my house until I fed four children the exact same dinner And realize two of them aren't interested in it. They're interested in some of it. But to get them to eat their broccoli is a challenge. And tomorrow night, it'll be a different dinner and it'll be another two kids who are the challenge. And in that, we realize the difficulty of kingdoms because when our kingdom can't flow through someone else's free will, that is the end of our kingdom. If you have a classroom, you know what I'm saying. (laughs) If you have a family, if you run a team. Sometimes our kingdoms extend, right? And it's like, oh, all of a sudden in our workplace, you can influence the culture to a certain extent where it feels like your kingdom got out there a little bit. But for most of us, our kingdoms are tiny. And God has a kingdom, and we can put that up on the screen too. And it's also the realm of his effective will. And that's fine when it's calming storms and multiplying food. But it's a whole different thing when it comes up against our free will. And we see how far God's kingdom extends where what he says goes. And where what he wants actually happens. And where what he wants done is done. And we can begin to understand, oh, God's kingdom. God's kingdom. God's kingdom is God in action. And in Jesus we see living in this kingdom modeled perfectly. And we see him teach how to also engage in that way of living, where God's will becomes our will. And the availability of being able to have the grace and mercy and spirit of Jesus helping us live in this kingdom, where before we couldn't. Have you ever wondered why people follow Jesus? I mean, we know like when he's feeding people and doing miracles, we know why people followed him then. But you ever wonder why people followed him at the start before he was doing all that? Small town, everybody knows everybody. It's like Mount Monganui, you know. Everyone knows what everyone's up to. For 30 years, before Jesus started his ministry, he modeled living in the kingdom perfectly. Not as like a church person, not just in his prayer life, but in his ordinary life, as Hayden talked about. Living in this kingdom perfectly. Like Jesus, his father had passed away at a young age, so he became the man and the supporter of the house. He modeled living in the kingdom of God perfectly. 
where God's will was his will. Jesus said, everything you hear me say and everything you see me do is exactly what God says and exactly what God does. That's the definition of living in the kingdom perfectly. And he did it not first in preaching and teaching and church stuff. He did it first in raising a family and in being a sibling and being an obedient son and then later in being a tradesperson, a bricklayer. He wasn't a builder like we think of it. There's no wood in Israel. They don't build wood houses. They build stone houses, brick houses. Okay, so they're bricky. And he, which is a more amazing that he could model being in the kingdom perfectly as a bricklayer. Have you ever met a bricklayer? <laughs> they're like concrete layers. And I don't know we've got some of them in the church. <laughs> Wonderful people. Hearty work. Didn't get frustrated was always calm. Didn't have to try love people he didn't like. He just saw everybody differently, so it was easy to love them. He saw them with mercy. He saw their heart. He saw their pain, and he didn't hold it against them. He, he modeled living in the kingdom in the normal, ordinary life. And so when he starts his ministry, nobody could be like, what the heck are you talking about? You know nothing about that. They're like, man, there's something different about the way he raises his family. There's something different about when he turns up on the job. He's got a different spirit about him, this Jesus. And so it added to his authority because he had spent 30 years mastering it before he spent three years talking about it. And I think sometimes we think Jesus is a bit dumb. Or at least irrelevant to the real things in our life, in which case we think he's dumb towards the real things in our life. I'm trying to push. Everyone's like, whoa, I don't think Jesus is dumb. Sorry, God. Uh, because we think he's only an expert at prayer. And we think he's only an expert at church things. We think he's nailed the 30 minutes at the start of the day that he spends with God, and we can learn from him how to do that. And we can learn from him how to worship, and we can learn from him how to, how to pray for somebody else. But then just, I need to read a different type of book to learn how to run my meetings at work. And I need to get advice from somewhere else to learn how to be a good husband or a good wife, because what could Jesus possibly know about that? We could look at another woke Jesus one. I'm a straight, Middle Eastern, male virgin. That means I can't talk about women's issues, sex, or to anyone outside of my own race. Because we're trained in our world to think unless in positional ethics, that unless you've lived it, you can't have any valid opinion towards it because the truth is not a truth, it's your experience. And I think we look at Jesus and we go, like, what could he know about the real difficulties of my life? And we think he's dumb. Because when it comes to the issues we face at work, we don't read our Bible or pray and ask him for help. We pick up a, a leadership book or ring a mentor. And when we're having marriage troubles, we don't pick up Proverbs and ask God to help us form that in our lives. We go to counseling. And I'm not against any of these things, but where you turn first shows where you think wisdom is.
And how can you live in the kingdom if you don't live like Jesus? If you think he doesn't have any, if you think he's only about the spiritual things, but nothing about our real world, you know, the rest of our lives. I like this. He's not just nice, he's brilliant. He's the smartest man who ever lived. He's now supervising the entire course of world history while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. He always has the best information on everything and certainly also on the things that matter most to human life. Let us now hear his teachings on who has the good life and on who among us is truly blessed. The kingdom of God. The kingdom was present in Jesus' life. It was proclaimed in his preaching. It was glimpsed in his miracles, established at his death, inaugurated in his resurrection, and is now being advanced by the Holy Spirit through the church, and it will be consummated in his return. There's so much we could say, and as you can see, it's going to be a fun series. But let me just give a few more disclaimers. He's like, this isn't fun, this isn't mean. Uh, <laughs> the kingdom of God, a few, a few just things to note. It, it was never Israel and was never meant to be Israel because it can never be a physical nation. Even at the times where they thought they got closest, they fell so short and that's why the prophets gave the nation such a hard time. And if it could never be Israel, I want you to know that the kingdom of God is not the church. It's not the physical, visible church. Like, curate is not the kingdom of God. Neither is Bethlehem Baptist. The Presbyterians, the Anglicans might be getting close. I don't know. (laughs) Because to say this is the kingdom of God is to say that everything that happens here, God approves. And I've had enough conversations with enough people to know that that's not the case. The kingdom of God is the invisible church. The kingdom of God's not in your heart, although it can be there, but to reduce it to that is to completely misunderstand the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is around us at all times and it is available only by faith in Jesus. The kingdom of God is now and it's also not yet. The kingdom of God is victorious above everything. But when you live in it, it feels anything but victorious at times. This one's important for the church to get. The kingdom of God is not something you can take with you or you can build. It already is. And all we need to do is to learn to live in it and proclaim it. Even Jesus didn't build it. So you don't need to take the pressure off. It's not yours to take somewhere. It already is there. So why does all this matter? Especially why does it matter for this this year of freedom? Well, every kingdom has a vibe, right? Every kingdom has a vibe. You go to Paris, it's got a vibe. It's romantic. It's beautiful. You go to Italy, it has drama. And passion. You go to Hawaii, it has chill. And the kingdom of God has love and peace and joy and freedom. 
So everything you're looking for is found in this realm of God's rule. And I don't want us to define it and I don't want us to be obsessed with explaining it. I want us to get hungry for it. I want us to begin imagining it. I want us to walk through our days and go, where's the kingdom right now? And how do I live in it? I want us to open our Bibles and start looking for the kingdom of God and see that it's everywhere. I want us to begin discussing at small groups the kingdom. And I want you to know that the kingdom is available to everyone through Jesus. But more on that in coming weeks. So over the next few weeks, after Mother's Day, we'll talk about this idea of good news and why is the kingdom good news? Ever wondered what the heck the Bible's on about when it says good news? What does that mean? Not just that it's good, it means more than that. We'll talk about how to enter the kingdom. And we'll unpack some of his teachings on how to live in the kingdom in Matthew 5 through 7. So 